Welcome to episode 77 of the Men Who Say Football, the Dundalk FC fancast. Winter has come for Dundalk FC. Uh, defeat in the Cup semi-final at Richmond Park last night means that we have a very different mood. A lot of deflation among Dundalk fans this morning. I suppose we were hoping that the Cup final might keep the season alive, give us another big event to look forward to, and maybe a chance of dodging the consequences of a lot of the blundering decisions that we've had inflicted on us by the current regime. And we might just slip the noose like we did last season and have another trophy and, and a route into Europe. Um, but it wasn't to be, was it, lads? No, uh, it wasn't. I mean, I suppose it's, too, it's like we could talk about the game itself and then I suppose that greater context where it leaves us. The game itself is a funny one because I think that for, especially the first half, we were quite evenly matched. Um, I think it was quite a tight game. Um, not much in it. And I think going in half time, a, a draw was probably a fair result. But just me thinking about the game, something occurred to me today thinking back on it, which is, I mean, this season we've seen the worst of Dundalk. And we've also seen the best of Dundalk. So we've swung from seeing some really, really miserable results and miserable performances to seeing the best of what this team can do. And to me, this was a strange one because it was somewhere in the middle. Because I feel that, uh, I mean, even though we are the informed side, I mean, the, the table doesn't lie. So the table tells you where both sides are. And, uh, you know, Pats were at home, sell out crowd. It was going to be a challenge. But I thought in the first half, we were you know, quite good, quite confident. Um, but if you think about, like, the first goal we conceded, it was just a kind of a catalogue of some of the problems that Dundalk have, which was giving the ball away in midfield. I mean, how many goals have we seen from Dundalk which are not the opposition outdoing us, but us gifting it to them? I mean, we're constantly gifting goals. This is happening so much. So then... So, mistake in midfield gives the ball away. How many times have we seen that this season? Okay. The, a, a play started from giving the ball away. And then they have this kind of, you know, straight run through the middle and a, a shot which I, I think should be saveable. I mean, we've been talking recently. I think Peter Jerry has been great. And I think Peter Cherry has been instrumental. We, we said it after the Rovers game. Cherry has been instrumental maybe to our defence improving. But I think re-looking at the goal, that, that should be saved. The shot shouldn't have been let off and we shouldn't have uh, conceded a possession in the middle of the park. So then, as usual, we're on we're on the back foot already. And I, I, I mean, I wouldn't say it was against a run of play, but I think that uh, I think the game was quite even. So then, OK, so you're behind and Dundalk have been behind quite a bit. Um, and then, you know, obviously we, we responded well. I mean, actually, I turned to you, Damien, and, as I can, and I was... Uh, I just complained about how weak we were and then almost immediately uh, Pat Hoban scored. But what I did say to you was, I feel it's another one of those games where we really missed Chris Shields. I, I just feel in the centre of the park, there was this big, massive black hole of vacuum. Um, and I think it was crying out for a Chris Shields type character or Chris Shields himself. Um and I mean, I mean, I mean, I I really like Greg Sargent, and you know, we don't like to in, in individually pick out players, but I don't think he had a great game, and I think that we were just mi missing that metal uh, in in the middle of the park, and then in the second half, yeah, I think they just they they grew in confidence and uh, just our our, our defence. Is just it. I don't know if it's confidence, lack of organisation, lack of direction, but we just seem to let players into position. I mean, for the first half, we were down right behind the goals, and it was terrifying at times how easily uh, Pat's players were able to come into our box. I just felt like there was a big massive doorway open for them to come in, um, and in the end, I, I think it was probably a fair result. Uh, I don't think he could really complain about the results. Um, but there was something lacklustre in Dundalk yesterday. There was some spark missing across the park. The players, and, you know, Vinnie Perth was talking about this. This could have been their last dance. And I think if 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 last season's cup final was this mad kind of, you know, against all odds magical moment, 
this I really felt was supposed to be the the curtain coming down on this era because we were losing we're probably going to lose all the Kenny era players so if the Kenny era has somehow kind of you know if we say the Kenny era hasn't fully ended I think this was this was going to be the the end of it the curtain call for the Kenny era uh, but weirdly the players didn't seem that up for it there was something something oddly off we just pats were more up for it I think especially in the second half and yeah pretty disappointing Perhaps when you're wondering how you're going to pay for your kids' Christmas presents, that's a little bit demoralising. But we can get into that sort of lacklustre feature. Damien, what did you make of the performance? Well, exactly uh, what Rory's up to. And I, I watched it on, like, you guys had the match experience. You can give us a little bit about that um, uh, um, later on. It, it, would have been, it would have been great to be there. But I watched it at home. And like that, I thought we looked weak in the first half. When you think about it, though, we, it was fairly even, as Rory said. It was two, two mistakes, really, that, um, that put the teams one apiece. Um, at, at half time, but I thought that um, I thought going like in the second half, it was one of those performances where you kind of know within the first five minutes that it doesn't look like or the first ten minutes that we don't look like we're up to much. There's that kind of lackluster, kind of lack of spark w w within us um, just in, in in the second half. And I thought Pat's always looked uh, the most likely to score on the break. That's what it looked like on on the, on the on the cast to me. Um, going back to the to the goal like that we conceded, I mean, it's been like that really all season. We, we've undone ourselves. We kind of like beat ourselves because like uh, there's a misplaced pass, Pats are in, and Andy Boyle doesn't know whether to come or whether not to come. And he's probably thinking, if I come, I might not get there. But then he actually stays. And I think he actually gets in, in, the, in, in the sight of Peter Cherry. Like, I think Peter Cherry can't see the ball coming in through his legs and he doesn't see it. Now, I'm not making excuses for Peter Cherry. He should have saved it, as simple as that. And I said this to you, like I said this on the, on the cast, like going back like when we had a BB in goals. When, when, you're, when you're that shaky in the goals, you're inviting shots, you're inviting attack, you're, you're inviting the players, the, the opposition to come at you. And I, I felt that when that goal went in, Pats felt they could shoot from anywhere, they could score, they could bring it in close. And we'd, like as you were saying, Rory, like from being behind the goals, I'd say every time they got anywhere next or near shot range, it was terrifying because that's kind of, that was kind of the, the feeling that I got from, from watching it on, on TV. Pat, Pat Hooven's goal, like a mistake um, from their defender, his name escapes him, but he slips and, uh, you know, we're in. Pat, like, there's no way Pat misses from there, not in the form that he's in. He was immense last night. He was, he, he, he's always immense. He, the, the guy is is the best striker in the league at the moment. He, he, I mean, he's the best striker. I think that I've ever seen from, from his like you know we've seen strikers before that are able to poach goals score goals but he does so 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 much more he, he's he's a phenomenal player um, and I think in the second half I'll be honest I don't think we deserved to win last night we didn't deserve to uh, at the end of it I, I kind of sat back and thought when was the last time uh, like I seen I seen us like not deserving to win a semi final. I think it was against Pat's pre Kenny year anyway. But we we managed to bumble our ways into, into the semi finals. And had we won that game, it would have been a huge disservice to Pat's. Uh, and because they did, but that's what it felt like afterwards after watching the second half performance that we really really didn't um, deserve anything from it. And we did look lackluster. We looked tired. And exactly, Ken, that's exactly what I was thinking this morning after you know we've put in some amazing performances. This season, but like if players are looking like at six weeks and um, six weeks down the line that they're not going to have an income, and you know Santa's coming and there's mortgages to be paid and rent to be paid, especially in the current climate, like I'm sure a lot of them have offers on the table already. That's neither here nor there, but it's just that uncertainty. It's that having to start all over again, and I'm sure that the that the offers probably wouldn't wouldn't be as good. So I mean, like as Rory said, it did feel like that, you know, that end of of an era, that end of and especially the end of the Kenny era. I don't think we'll we'll see anything like we have seen in the last few years for a long time. In fact, I don't think any League of Ireland team will see what we've seen in the last few years ever. We have to be careful here not to repeat ourselves. So I've, I've written down a list of assumptions that we can almost take as read that I think everybody now has sort of come to a consensus on. So we will resist the temptation to say that, you know, okay, since Bill Hulsizer has arrived, all of his decisions have been very, very poor. We have expended a tremendous amount of resources. Like the irony is, you know, last night's squad is assembled at a cost that is substantially and numerous times greater 
than say the 2015 squad or the 2016 squads. We're spending inordinately more money. And even if you just take it to the last two windows, we spent incredible amounts of money and actually managed to critically weaken the squad, not end up around about the same or you know, slightly less good, but with glaring obvious deficiencies that you guys have referred to. I mean, um, we talked about Peter Cherry as backup. Peter Cherry has come in. He's been great um, as regards, you know, he's pulled off some great performances at home. He's been part of the galvanizing of that defense. But Peter Cherry was, you know, nobody would try and argue that he's at the peak of his game and he's one of the best keepers in the country. I don't think Peter would even do that himself. He's been a great character. He's been a great player. He's been a league winner with Dundalk. But I think we all know that, you know, we have substantially weakened the whole goalkeeping department by letting go all of our goalkeepers, three of them, and who are, you know, where I know Gary Rogers was coming to the end of his career, but Aaron McCarry was highly rated. I know he's in the headlines again for the wrong reason. And David Adamusa all let go and the goalkeeping coach and no real thought put in. I'm repeating what I said we wouldn't repeat. So we know that situation. We know that we've sold our... I don't think the Chris Shields point is just nostalgia and wanting to roll the clock back to years gone by. Chris Shields had a value to the team here and now and would have had a value for the rest of the season of which he was under contract. You can see in our goals that we conceded last night two unforced turnovers of possession, which you know don't happen when Chris Shields is there, you know, either in possession or beside you. Uh, two unforced like really, really soft turning over of possession. And then this vast gap opening up in front of our defense where defenders are exposed and they can't even, they, they can't decide whether to come or not. And, you know, but, but like Matt Smith's uh, goal is a tremendous finish in a way. It's a really good strike. It's in the top corner. It's a challenge to save. Now I would say, you know, Peter Cherry of 2013 might get to that. Gary Rogers of 2015 might get to that a top, top keeper, such as what St. Patrick's Athletic have. Uh, you know, I mean, look at that save for the Will Patching chance. That's a top-class save. And it, it kind of brings it home. Dundalk have had to go through this season carrying a massive burden of the really poor decisions that have been made off-screen to, to, to basically introduce critical weaknesses into the side to devote a tremendous amount of resources to players who couldn't make any contribution last night. Pretty much all of Bill and Filippo's um, recruits, whoever you want to attribute them to, with the exception of Stanton, and we had a cameo from Yukovskis, none of them are in a position to contribute. They've either been moved on, they're injured, or they're simply being found out not to be good enough. And we don't like the single players out for abuse. I think we've supported and wished well every single one of those players. And we hope they'd all become cult heroes we asked the question at the start of the season, are these guys simply going to be better than League of Ireland players? I think everybody can now see that they're not. They're not up to the standard, generally speaking. And the team is weaker as a result. But Pats, in contrast, look at what Stephen O'Donnell is doing. He has a board that's supporting him, and they're consistent, and they're stable. He has recruited well. He has used the loan system really well. You know, he's got... He's, and, and this is to say that, you know, Neither side looked world-beating. Compare last night's game and the quality of it to when we clashed for the league in 2013 and that kind of near-end-of-season game down there. The St. Patrick's Athletic, uh, Lee Buckley side, was light years ahead of where Stephen O'Donnell's side is now. Now, Stephen O'Donnell's St. Pat's is a work in progress. We seem to be a work in decline. Um, but I think, generally, the standards across the league is dipped compared to what it was in that era. But um, nonetheless, Pats are doing things the right way and they've converged and they've narrowed the gap on us and they were able to beat us last night comfortably enough at the end of the day, mostly due to errors and, and, and goals that we gifted them. The first one is something of a gift and the second one is something of a gift and after that, you're, you're chasing the game. But despite all that, we have seen that this Dundalk side did rally at home we are formidable at home. We seem to be a little bit more fragile on the road. We won't go into the Conanburn Eagle Claw draw again. I think that's in the past. But the fact is that everybody did seem to play within themselves a little bit. Like Michael Duffy was doing Michael Duffy stuff, but he wasn't the rampaging, awesome Michael Duffy that we've seen in recent weeks in Oriel Park. He didn't seem to have that fire. He didn't seem to have that impact. Patrick Hoban was doing Trojan work as ever, 
but often dropping deep and dropping wide to try and get himself into the game. Will Patching, moments of brilliance. Great shot, could have plucked it out of the bag there at the very end. He also had some great moments of link-up play, but at the same time then there was lapses where he kind of fluffed four-yard passes when, when we could have been true on goal. And you can kind of go through the team. Sean Murray, we've seen how lethal he can be in recent weeks, you know, was was there to, to score the goal to beat Shamrock Rovers. Last night, we just didn't see all that much of him. And I think generally across the field, we didn't see many players get out of second gear. And you have to kind of ask why that is, why there wasn't more fire in the players. And maybe being away from home was a factor, even though we had substantial travelling support. But you have to look at, in one dressing room, you have a dynamic, upcoming manager being mentored by a very experienced manager. You, had a, you have a kind of full stadium of passionate fans behind them. And you've got a board who are helping. They're not hindering. The fans are in alignment. The manager's in alignment. The team is young and dynamic. A lot of things are positive. Pats are on the up. And then you look at what we have to contend with, which is a boardroom that is in absolute chaos. We won't go into the details. We all know the story. Players who don't, as Vinnie Pert said in his LMFM interview, don't know if they have a job in six weeks' time. And last year we had the cliff edge sort of end of season where basically the season was over. We were still in the Europa League and none of the players seemingly had been sorted out. And it looks like the players have learned from last year some of them have already got themselves sorted out in the absence of an offer from Dundalk. But like I say, Pat's doing things right. Bo's doing things right. Less resources, but the board is not constantly undermining Keith Long's efforts at, at Daily Mount Park. They're not undermining uh, Stephen O'Donnell's efforts at Richmond Park. Dundalk is unique. Uh, more resources than most clubs, but we have this toxic board that are undermining everything that Vinny is trying to achieve. He's not secure. The players are not secure. And then we wonder why maybe they're playing within themselves and they're not playing with the same fire that maybe we've, we've seen in years past. I think, you know, that deflation, that lack of cutting edge could be attributable to a number of things, but it's probably what we were hoping to avoid last night. Uh, like, I mean, another trip to the Aviva would have been great. We all would have loved it. But would it have been papering over the cracks of the problem that we all know is there, that ultimately we have to reckon with at some point and we can't just rely on getting lucky forever which is the dysfunction that's sort of in that boardroom like to, to make one final point before i bring you back in i was listening to alan cawley talking football on the way down to the game he was previewing the the, the cup semi-finals and he's a man united fan they switched across channel and he said that man united fans could take very little comfort from their turnaround victory during the week where they fell behind to atalanta and then kind of got out of it because Ronaldo came through and got them a winner. He said, look, there are serious, serious problems in that team, but they're being bailed out by the class players that they have, like Ronaldo. And I just thought, that sounds a little bit like us. We know there's dysfunction in the back room. We know that there's dysfunction in the board. We know that there's major weaknesses in the team. And we have kind of been relying, ever since Vinny was sacked initially, we have kind of been relying on the residual class players that haven't yet moved on, been sold. The, the guys who have done it through the Kenny era, the Patrick Hobans, uh, the Michael Duffies, these characters, we've been relying on their class to bail us out of all the dysfunction that's happening around the club. And eventually that can only go on for so long. And I think last night, you know, was probably just that bridge too far. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, it's, some other people said to me about, you know, we can no longer paper over the cracks. But I would say when you've got a chairman who just clearly does not care about the opinions of fans, journalists, or I would say he has no, in a way, relation with reality because it doesn't matter what the team does. He, he, he makes these pronouncements which show that he he literally does not care or is unaware of you know objective reality in some ways because it doesn't matter what the team is doing things are great it doesn't matter what the fans are doing they're being negative so if we're now no longer in the final right i don't think that will matter to bill holzheiser 
this is my problem. So you know you say, well, we can't pay with the cracks anymore. Chickens have come home to roost. The board must now know what's happening. I mean, the board know what's happening. The league position speaks for itself. But he doesn't even seem in panic zone over our league position, you know? I mean, his interview a few weeks ago was the interview of a man who doesn't seem to be aware that the club he's in charge of is in crisis. So now, had we made it to the final, which I, I think every Dundalk fan would want us to make to the final, it would be a problem in that he would continue, it would probably be fuel to this matrix-like fantasy that he lives in, that everything's great. But the fact that we're not making it to the final, I don't think makes a dent in his worldview. Um, so papering over cracks or not papering over the cracks, we've got a chairman who doesn't seem to care, just based on his pronouncements. Um, what the team, what the actual position of the club is in footballing terms doesn't seem to matter. Um, and just to go back to some of the other points, yeah, I mean, the, the, the player's position is probably starting to catch up with them. I mean, Vinnie Perth said it in his post-match interview, but the six weeks away from not having a job, that can't help. Um, he did seem to lament this idea that he wanted to give the players this last dance. Um, but the players have to give themselves that last dance, that last shot on the stage, and it, it just wasn't happening. The other thing about last night as well is not only the on-field stuff, but um, our lack of uh, options. We took off Greg Sloggett and brought on Daniel Kelly. Now, Daniel Kelly's a great player, a lot of pace, but we were seeding a midfield position, you know, during a game when that was, you know, a, a particular problem for us. Now, I know what Vinny was doing. He was chasing the game. You bring on Daniel Kelly to bomb down the wings. But it just seemed that we didn't have the option to shore it up in places where we needed to, which goes back to your, you know, again, our uh, disastrous recruitment policy. Um, but, but yeah, no, it, it, I mean, the fan anger, which I think spilled over long ago at this stage now, um, can't have been helped by the fact that we're not going to be in a final. We're still in a dogfight. Now, as, as Vinnie Port said, we were five minutes from, you know, being what, five points off fourth. And, you know, it, so, you know, it's mad how one goal like that can complete. It's so tight. So we're definitely not out of the dogfight, as we all know. We've no chance of Europe. That team is gone. It's going to evaporate. With no Europe, okay, none of those players are staying. I mean, the, we said the cup is broken. The cup has been smashed to pieces and probably ground down to a fine dust at this stage. It ain't been put back together. You know, we've said before, it's not just about Bill. This is Matt Holsizer's company. His partner, Jenny Just, apparently has a say here. They've left it to, they've left it to Bill. Bill is clearly, if he was to be a traditional chairman, fine. You know, just sit there, enjoy the game, chair the meetings, uh, let directors function. That would be fine. Uh, he wants to be, he wants to be making decisions. We've discussed them before. He's not qualified. He's, he's acting from a position of considerable arrogance and ignorance, which is a malign cocktail, which is, you know, We've said it before, it's, it's landed us where we are. Now, peak sticks are buying into Wolves. Perhaps people might take this as a signal that they may be about to divest from Dundalk. Uh, there are rumours of takeovers, apparently two different rival bids, which might be looking to acquire the club. I think at this stage, it's, it's, there, are, there is essentially no support for peak six continuance. We ran two polls on Twitter um, and I don't think, you know, I'm not claiming that these are uh, a scientific sample, but we did get a, a considerable response. We got 315 votes so far. We asked a question, taking it just as objectively as we can, like everybody will know our opinions and where they've migrated to. If we go back far enough in history, we used to discuss and debate peak six and their performance. Now I think everybody's off a consensus. But anyway, we asked the following question. This was presuming that they would stay. If Peak Six stay in charge of Dundalk FC for next season, how likely is it that they will learn from their blunders and begin to run the club in a sensible manner? So that was to basically envisage a return to sort of Mike Tracy era Peak Six when, you know, it, it, they, they, their presence wasn't quite so obviously malign. So in response to that question on a kind of sample so far of 315 votes, 92% think it is unlikely that Peak Six will change their ways and begin to run the club in a sensible manner. 
and only 8% thinks it's likely. So I think, you know, there's, there's very, very little confidence in peak six. When we asked uh, how likely is it that peak six will stay as owners of Dundalk FC for next season, uh, fan sentiment is a little bit more um, evenly divided, but still 35% think it's likely they'll stay, 65% thinks it's likely they'll go. Now, you raise an interesting point. Unlike previous local managers who would be now feeling the heat, they would be you know, around the town, they might have businesses in the town, uh, they would have people calling in, they'd be, they'd be experiencing the sort of levels of frustration. And I think you mentioned anger, I think we're beyond anger. People want to go back 20 episodes, they'll find us angry. Now we're, we're, we're certainly not apathetic, but this is more about despair. This is more about you know, an existential battle for what will, it's not like we're worrying about whether we'll challenge for the league next year. It's worrying about whether Peak Six have the competence to actually complete the licensing process because they've made such a mess of everything else. Uh, that's a complicated bureaucratic process. And I'm not confident that they know what they're doing. Uh, who knows if we'll even have a club that actually is competing in the Premier Division next year. But anyway, this is, this is the point that I want to make. They have the resources to endure a loss-making Dundalk FC for essentially a very long time. So if Matt is of the view that this is his father's toy for as long as he wishes to be amused by it, this could go on forever, um, certainly for, for numerous years. In addition to that, they are so distant from the town and so insulated and isolated from the sentiment of the fans and also willfully ignoring it when they claim not to have seen banners and not to be aware of protests, that again, they're, they're feeling no pressure either emotionally or financially. They can go on enduring losses. Uh, they can go on enduring our outrage and disappointment and pleas and everything else. So I suppose the question is, well, first of all, on their competence, like don't laugh when I ask you this. Do you think it's possible for Peak Six to redeem themselves and change their ways and still be in charge of the club next season, but to have learned lessons from this season? That's question one. And question two is, um, given that they have the capability to stay and they've put a two million valuation on the club, which presumably, that's bizarre, like presumably that valuation came down to almost nothing last night because the club has no assets. It, it, it basically only... Every, every asset that the club has is a liability of essentially the same or greater value. Because if you have a player's contract, which is your only asset, you've also got to pay and fund that contract, which is a liability. So where do they get a two million valuation on Andy Boyle and Ryan O'Kane? No, no harm to them. Um, it is rather arbitrary. And I don't know if they're adjusting that down. It just seems like they're just trying that. But if we look at that, those three aspects of peak six, their valuation of the club, whether they can change their ways or whether they'll even be here next season. What are your thoughts? I don't think there's any chance of them being able to change their, change their ways. None, none whatsoever. I think, because like, I always like to look at the glass half full, you know, I might say, well, look, maybe if Bill wasn't in control, um, you know, next year, maybe. But the answer is absolutely and unequivocally no. They haven't a clue. Um, they haven't a clue about the League of Ireland. They haven't a clue about Dundalk Football Club. They haven't a clue about the passionate support that it has. They haven't a clue about transfers. They haven't a clue about the running of the club, but the appointment of a, of a director of football and what that even means. They haven't, they haven't a notion, okay? I mean, and we've seen that across the, the, um, the season. They, they, they absolutely know is, is, my, is my answer to that. It doesn't matter how much money they pump in because they've pumped in that much money this year and it's been a complete and utter mess so definitely not how is likely is it that they will stay on well that that's one that's a very very scary question ken okay because not everything is cut and dry not everything is black and white you would like you'd like to think um you know what i think they'll be gone next season but um i'm not too sure that they will be gone next season for the simple fact that um i don't even think they're competent competent enough to sell it or to let it go i don't even think they know how to do that that's, that'll tell you. I think we're talking about, you know, the dumbest people in the room and that's who they are. They're absolutely clueless. And in fact, not even clueless, they're spineless as well. Haven't heard a peep from them in terms of our, of our club and our, and our, and our, um, and, and, and the community that, that it serves. I mean, we, we love them, Doc FC, and these guys are not only dumb, but they're spineless. They're just, 
it's incredible. So my, my fear would be, Ken, is that they would actually stay. They would stay and it'd mess up the licensing process, not out of, you know, out of badness, but because they're just stupid, stupid people that don't understand what it is that they're doing. And that's a major fear. I don't think the dog supporters maybe have thought about that, but that's where I would be um, fearful that we'd end up in the first division next season with a, with a terrible, you know, disinterested bunch that the, and we refer to them as the board and the board been in, in, in disarray. Do we actually have a board? I mean, are just names on a, names on a, um, on a piece of paper somewhere that, that, that are registered as the board? And like, is there actually, is there anybody in the room? That's, that's the question that needs to be asked. So I would be terrified. Um, I want them gone. I want them gone like tomorrow uh, if, that, if that can happen. But um, I would be scared that they'd, that they'd stay on next season. Um, that's been honest. So do I take it that you're not consoled by the introduction of the Dundalk FC app for your phone, which apparently, to quote the great Bill Hulsizer, makes communications with fans a hundred times better than it used to be before? This this mm. argument doesn't convince you? Absolutely not. Shock. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd be the same as Damien. I mean, for the first question, no, I don't think they can. I don't think they can change their ways because in anything in life. You look at evidence. How do you make a prediction for the future? You look at evidence of what you've seen before. I've seen no evidence. Okay, the best shot you have at this is the Mike Tracy era, okay? But I don't think that era is coming back because if we believe the, the general storyline, which is that Matt Holzheiser and Jenny Just, who effectively run Peak Sexton, who, who essentially owned them off because they own the majority share, handed the club to Bill Holzheiser to run, okay? And he is running it, let's be honest, you know, into the ground. That's the thing, that's the point that needs to change, which was the only confidence I would have in peak six is if the chairman was replaced. And as Damien said, if a, if a board was actually installed, because essentially I, I would agree, we don't really have a board, okay? It's a one-man show. Now, is that going to happen? I don't have the evidence to believe that that, 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 that would happen. The other thing I would say is kind of on Damien's point is when Peak Six came in initially and when things were wobbling slightly, a lot of the defences, these guys are business people. I mean, that's, that's the defence. They are business people. But I got, I got news for you. Look at the last 200 years of capitalism. Capitalists often make stupid mistakes. Businesses go down. You can look at companies which folded, you know, or a company like, I don't know, you know, like Kodak who didn't see the writing on the wall for film or something else, you know what I mean? And, or didn't change, you know, th th there's, there's examples of companies who made bad decisions and no longer exist. Capitalist businesses go bust all the time. Investors lose their shirt all the time, okay? Just because they are businessmen and they have a fancy website with lovely quotes wow. and they say the right things, does not mean they're good at what they're doing. They, oh. they, could, be, they could be crap at what they're doing. Now, the only other evidence here is that Matt Holzheiser is, and Jane just are rich people. So they make money somehow, okay? But maybe they make money off other industries. Maybe they invest. And in, listen, I'm going to be honest here. I'm going to go off on a rant here. But investment is not a sign of a clever person. Investment is gambling, and you get advised to back a horse, okay? Doesn't mean they can run businesses. And it definitely doesn't mean they can run football clubs. And it definitely doesn't mean they can run Irish football clubs. So they're... they're they're maybe not good at what they do. Maybe they're good at putting investments into shares and stocks and stuff like that. But they're not good at running football clubs because I've seen four years or three years evidence of it, okay? So no, I don't think they can change. I was going to say, in case any of our, our kind of free market business type listeners are, are kind of tuning out due to this enlightening Marxist rant, uh, you've given a left-wing critique of, of Peak 6. I'll give you a kind of conservative one as well so they can give them both barrels from both directions uh, just to kind of complete the spectrum yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you were more or less coming to the same point that it could be made as a kind of a, a free market critique I mean they are experts in one domain which seems to be generating fantasy billions in their bitcoin data analytics financial technology world like what is financial technology I won't pretend to know uh, it's not my domain. I know nothing about it. It's all very mysterious. And I think that the, the phrase data analytics now for Dundalk FC fans will just elicit groans because they tried to use that as camouflage when they brought Mike Tracy back in. What was Mike going to do? Well, he'd be a kinder face 
and uh, he, he, you know, he would access the world of data analytics, so this would save the club. Now that's hocus pocus. It's snake oil. I think we all know that way of football can be scientifically analyzed and statistics generated and things revealed. But uh, to think it's some sort of panacea that unlocks these hidden realms of wisdom is absolute kind of boulder dash. But my point is, even right, rather than just diminishing the peak six kind of mafia as uh, dumb people, I think they might be experts in the domain of financial technology and doing whatever it is they do. You know, you can be a great linguist, but know nothing about politics. You can be a great economist, but know nothing about art. These folks quite clearly and absolutely abundantly are domain experts. They seem to be very good at convincing people to kind of, you know, trust them with their financial technology enterprises. But when they get out of their domain, boy, do they suck. I mean, what they have done to Dundalk, every Dundalk fan, you know, you require you require absolutely no expert training to see the flaws and the errors and the risks they've made and the absolute foreseeable blunders that everybody on the terrace could have told you was going to happen when you did what they did and they did it. They're and so like I would say maybe they're the main experts. Maybe they know what they're doing. Maybe maybe peak six is polypec. Maybe it's all an illusion. But even even if you give them the credit of knowing what they're doing in their own realm, they clearly haven't a clue when it comes to running a League of Ireland football club. And I think other fans know this. I mean, you know, we could, like a lot of fans could be kind of slagging us off for making this Faustian pact with them. And um, in fairness to other fans, you know, they've never really twisted the knife about what the Hull Sizers and Bill have done. Perhaps they're being charitable or perhaps it's just too tragic. But the net effect is that they have taken something which was the pinnacle, was the model, was the best practice, was the center of excellence, was the standard bearer in every possible domain of how to run a football club. And they have turned it into a laughing stock and they've sent it into a massive decline. And the question now is whether this decline continues and goes into a new subterranean, totally infernal phase, do we end up with something really sulfurous like a team of you know, Tanner Dogans uh, or other friends of Bill or like if Bill bumps into you in a bar in Florida and you say, uh, my nephew can kick a ball. He says, great, here's a three-year contract. We'll fly him over. Uh, well, don't worry about visas. Don't worry about any of this. Just I'll make it happen. I mean, are we in for more and more of this? And and my, my fear is that if it is to be peak six for the future, right, you know, beyond the anger and beyond the hardcore, I mean, are fans going to say, right, I had enough of this? I'll, 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 like, I mean, that, that kind of group of fans, like we were there in great numbers last night, but I think we can all remember the days when Dundalk FC were, you know, had a hardcore following of a couple of hundred rather than a thousand. Um, I, I fear if Peak Six hang around, yes, they've done a lot of damage off the field. They've done a lot of damage to the squad. Are they now going to dissolve and the fan base? Are they going to so demoralise people that we just begin to lose numbers? Yeah, and so on that point then about you know whether or not they're going to stay, like similar to Damien, I don't know. But interestingly, maybe that €2 million Euro price mark is essentially a, a way of saying that they're not for sale in a way. You, you know, it's, it's, it's a way of saying, okay, yeah, this is, this is the price tag, but it'll put off a lot of people because maybe Matt and Jenny are happy just to keep it going. It's, it's, a, it's based on what I know about what they're worth. It's, it is a small drop to them and uh, Bill appeared to enjoy being the chairman. So maybe the 2 million is a, just a kind of a, you know, a piss off sign. You know what I mean? And if someone did stump up that money, then they would say, okay, actually let the, let's get out of that price but maybe because the evaluation is mad i mean everyone's scratched in their head as you said it puts off any buyers because there's no assets i mean you're you're getting nothing for that you're getting the potential of maybe down the line uh, a, a europa league campaign or europa conference league campaign but that's what you're getting you're getting a potential because there's nothing there okay um so that's maybe the only thing i can think of so yeah i mean i you hear all these rumors they're going to get out they're going to get out i think the two million is a sign that they're not going anywhere 
unless one of these magical consortiums suddenly pops up. Um, I, d I definitely think we'll be starting next season with them. And then your next point, I think, is one which is really interesting with Elton. Because in the last few weeks, we've seen real, like, the, the best of fandom, I think, you know? The, the, the reaction, because it would be so easy to walk away. It would be so easy to get quite nasty and angry. Contrary to what the chairman said, it hasn't happened. There's been massive support for Vinny and those players. But human beings have a, you know, a limited resource for that stuff. And at what point, I mean, imagine, just imagine we went down and then you're about to start next season in the first division and you've got this team cobbled together of people you've never heard of. It's clearly a Bill Hulsizer selection and people are like, right, it's time to renew your season ticket. It's time to go up to Oriel. It's cold in February. What happens then? Yeah, like without wishing to kind of seem too sentimental, I mean, there was periods in the past where, you know, only the hardcore could endure what was going on. Like dismal, non-competitive seasons in the first division. I think the name to conjure that sort of is embodies here is the Trevor Anderson era. But there was also other tough times. There was tough times in the Premier Division. And it seems we did lose entire generations. You know, there was like of kids who like kids, you know, you, you need a campaign or you need a trophy to sort of really hook uh, a child's imagination into supporting the team. That's why this has been so glorious. I mean, you go to the games and you see the amount of parents with kids. That's tremendous because when things are going bad, they tend to whittle away. The kids perhaps are not so interested in going to see bad football with a few goals and nutritional, they get bored. And I'm talking like, you know, when you first go to a football match, maybe when you're seven or eight and you're brought along to it, you know, you, you need, you need, you need heroes, you need good campaigns, you need entertainment to just hook your imagination. Now I think there was periods and you can kind of trace it to several seasons of, you know, dire non-competitive exhibitions. And you could look around in Oriel Park and you could see there are old men and there are lads in their teens and twenties and there's almost nobody else here. And there's certainly no kids and there's not many families and all of that sort of stuff. Now, I mean, you know, when we get to cup final and there's 20,000 people come out to support the club and it's a real family affair, you're reminded of the potential fan base that's out there and you reach them when you're domestically competitive and they're there. Um, you know, I'm just, my fear is that, you know, that generation can be lost. It, uh, it can, uh, you know, you, you can go through a bad period and you, you simply notice that, you know, kids at seven or eight don't get into the game. They don't really engage with the club. And suddenly you're back to, you remember the feeling there was in the town where to be a Dundalk fan, like over the last five or six years, everybody's a Dundalk, Dundalk fan. Every teacher in every primary school is putting up posters prior to the, to the cup final. You know, the players are going in and everybody looks at them as heroes. And uh, there's a real feeling that, you know, you see the crest being worn everywhere on the street. Every pub has, you know, flags up. There's a total feeling of, you know, it being everybody being involved. And you remember there was periods where that wasn't the case. And to be a Dundalk fan was probably, you know, you were probably something more of an oddity and it might've been you and a few of your friends, but generally speaking, it wasn't something that everybody in the town shared. Now that I think is what's at jeopardy now. I mean, if we get peak six out, if we could get some sort of sane regime in, even if they're not, going to be competitive because maybe they'll have to cut the budget. We might have to lose some of our stars or whatever, but if they could give that sense of the club belonging to the community again, back and just do the best they can, and maybe, you know, we might not be winning trophies, but if we could be seen to be progressing and, and playing entertaining football and sort of restoring the club and on a mission, you know, basically a sense that we were moving back upwards rather than still in decline. I think that could be a positive. We might avert that. My major fear is, you know, Oh, let's face it. We, we, we have been spoiled rotten with trophies and success over the last seven or eight years. We can't complain that we haven't had enough. We had a glorious period. You do always want to see it go on. But, you know, the loss of trophies, the loss of a competitive team, the loss of star players, they are all hard to take. But the erosion of the fan base and the possible loss of a next generation, that is a real much deeper wound that would take perhaps many, many more years to overcome. 
that is why I was saying it's a terrifying prospect as I'm hanging around because like that, if you end up in, you know, scraping around the first division, you know, as Bill's play thing with, you know, a load of Tanner Dogans and, and amateurs that, you know, that simply aren't fit to wear the crest of Dundalk FC, you will end up losing that. Like the club, even though the facilities are, are done and, you know, there's lots that could be done Doriel Park, like lots and lots could be done Doriel Park. There is that generational, you know, spanning in Oriel Park. You've got kids, grandparents, and everything in between, and that it would be very, very sad uh, to to lose that. Yeah, and do you know what? That's another thing that I've revised my opinion of. When Peak Six arrived, I thought, "Great capital investment. Let's let's make a modern stadium. Let's make it, you know, more comfortable. Let's have it four sided. Let's have the away fans behind one goal or whatever." And uh, and and you know, let, let's let's if we're going to aspire to be the the um, the Trodheim of of um, of Ireland, and let's let's have those facilities. Let's not go to every other Europa League game and and look at the Space Age facilities there, and then come back to our nineteen fifties nineteen sixties facilities, essentially with incremental improvements. Let's do that. And now I've kind of said, here, listen, wait a minute. The atmosphere in Oriel Park second and. If you're in a shed on a match night, you know, you're getting an experience. And I'll tell you another thing, getting an experience that you don't get in the Emirates or Old Trafford or in any other modern space agey stadium. So, yeah, look, Peak Six came in and they postured like we're, you know, big investors. And you presume that, hey, they might invest something. They didn't really do anything, you know, beyond investing in the team, which is very welcome. But a fraction of what they've wasted would have been enough to give us a competitive advantage to stay dominant. But my point is, you know, all right, if, if they are going to go and we're not going to get a modern stadium project, because the stadium committee seems to be just PR. Brendan Ogle said that he was on it, it met once, and it kind of gave a vague aspirational objective, and it hasn't met since. Whenever, I don't wish to seem too cynical, whenever you see local politicians getting involved, uh, you wonder, is the motive just to be seen to be involved in something that might bear fruit? Or is it actually a proper working committee that's engaging with the state and is seeking funding from a number of sources? But, you know, what, what Brendan Ogle reported to the Supporters Club is that stadium committee was PR. Mike Tracy's return to the club as an advisor was PR. Um, and at this stage, I say, feck it. Look, if they're not going to, if they're capitalist investors, as Ruri says, you think that's a terrible thing. I think it's, it's uh, well, it can, it can be productive. Um, we 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 would all be grateful for a modern stadium you know that would be capital investment that would be welcome but if they're not going to do it what's the point in having them right you know so let's get shot at them and i, I look around and i experience you know the atmosphere in the shed and i think look if you're a chelsea fan or liverpool fan or man united fan this this is an experience that you don't get in your ground this is this is football on a more intense and more intimate and more uh, it's a more genuine and more authentic level. And maybe that's an asset that perhaps we overlooked. Like maybe the, the, the desire to have a modern all-seater stadium, you know, yeah, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. and It would be nice. But let's appreciate what we have, which is, well, it, it's a ground that the previous generations of administrators and fans fundraised for, fundraised for and bought and built, and it's ours. And yes, it has its flaws and yes, it could be improved, but it's ours and we're proud of it. And the atmosphere that's generated there, you know, listen, shed in full voice, you won't get as an intense an atmosphere anywhere in the world. What a rousing defense of Oriel Park there, Ken. Jesus, I feel emotional. Somebody had to make it. <laughs> well, I will say one thing. I agree with all that, but um, having... Being in the away end this uh, season is the one thing that I am willing to cede to other fans that uh, the, the away end could do a little bit of work. But keep but the rest. We don't have to be in the away end, really. So, like, it's it's the away end. <laughs> I'm just I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> being somewhat charitable towards uh, towards the travelling towards towards, towards our, yeah, our yeah, opposition. Yeah. Well, some of them. One team in particular can uh, you know can stay been... amongst the rubble. We've just gone from romantic idealism to pragmatism to cynicism there in three sentences. We're also joined belatedly by Martin Mullen. Martin, any comments on last night's game and, and plans for the future, which we've been mostly talking about? 
are there plans for the future? Because like everything I read is that, uh, or, or hear is that like Vinny uh, doesn't know what's happening in six weeks time, nor do any of the players with the exception of Andy Boyle. Uh, so I don't know, like plans for the future seem more at this stage like dreams for the future um, because they lack any sort of concrete uh, sort of um, attribute to them uh, in any way. So um, I don't know, like I, you're, your rousing Oriole Park speech, I don't know, uh, isn't entirely off the mark, right? Um, there is, I think, something a little bit unique about it. Uh, I do think it has its merit, right? But at the same time, I don't think you could say that uh, that the ground is as good as it could be, right? Uh, I think there are definitely opportunities for improvement. Uh, I think there are lots of criticisms, I mean, even from the club itself, that there is nowhere to prepare food. In the ground so like any food that is available has to be you know sort of imported from outside uh i think there is the lack of uh, i suppose a, a family area or something like that for for all the sheds merits right um it's sort of family atmosphere is not maybe the the highest you know sort of scoring um attribute of that either and uh, i think that would be really nice you know for for parents and stuff of like that uh, to maybe avail of a, a part of the ground where there's some less salty uh, sort of language and stuff like that for them to, to bring their, their smaller kids and stuff like that. Um, last night, I, I mean, I think, I, I don't know, like one of those nights where we just weren't really in the game at any stage, you know, the, obviously we equalized, uh, we were on top for maybe, you know, the sort of seven or eight minutes directly after that. But aside from that, you know, we really struggled to get our, our big players in the game. Uh, I think you called out in Twitter that, you know, we never really got Michael Duffy in the game. Uh, Sean Murray as well, you know, sort of very sort of peripheral figure uh, throughout the, the course of the evening's work. And, you know, all in all, just, it, it just felt like we didn't get going at any stage. Um, I think it's it's more than a pattern now at this stage to say that we are in danger of conceding two or three goals every single game, right? And that is going to make it extremely difficult for us to win games. Like you're going to have nights where Michael Duffy and Patrick Coogan and, you know, uh, they, they bring out something special or something like that, manage to get, you know, a brace, manage to get us in the lead, something to cling on to. But if the, fen if the defense is going to leak goals at that rate, right, there is only so much they can do. One of the things that disappoints me a little bit is that, you know, last night it, it didn't look like we had, you know, um, anybody missing from our back five, if you take Dummigan, Cleary, Boyle, Leahy, uh, and in goal, Peter Cherry, right? There's there's nobody else that I think we would say would dramatically improve uh, that back four. So I think maybe on reflection, you know, one of those nights where we missed a Chris Shield style figure, you know, in front of them a little bit. But at the same time, you know, there are certain deficiencies, I think, just in terms of the, the performance levels that those players are producing at the moment that's um, not as high as maybe it could be. Yeah, and I think that's all fair enough. And it sort of brings us back to like decisions to cash in on Chris Shields and let him go. And I know there was kind of a debate on Twitter. I think Jerry Malone was in the midst of it to say, you know, he should have been made to say. Uh, like Patrick McElhenney was refused a, 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 an exit. Unfortunately, we lost Patrick through injury. Uh, but, you know, what you say is what you say is kind of reiterating what we said in the first half of the podcast. The squad has been systematically weakened. And we find ourselves with those weaknesses now being exposed. And you don't have to be the finished article to get round Dundalk these days. You simply have to be a well-disciplined, well-organized side, which St. Patrick's Athletic were. And, you know, you can see that they pressed us and they often made it very difficult for us to play out from the back. We spent a lot of time in possession, but going across our own back four. And they seem to then, you know, create a very compact defensive barrier around about their 18-yard line and slightly in advance of that, which we found it hard, even when we did get round the, down the flanks, often the balls delivered into the box from play or even from set pieces were, were quite easily defended. And when you've got a decent keeper, I suppose the turning point of the game from a Dundalk point of view was Patrick Huben has a tremendous chance just before St. Pats get their second goal. If we get our noses in front, perhaps it's one of those days where, once again, the class players... They, they deliver something special and it covers over all the, all the kind of deficiencies that have been introduced into the club and into the squad by, you know, the poor recruitment that we've so lamented. Uh, so maybe, you know, once again, there are fine margins, um, but uh, that Patrick Huben chance, the, the Will Patching chance, they were, they were, you know, decent chances, maybe on a good night they go in, but 
in comparison to the way in which Dundalk used to sort of be so difficult to score against, uh, yeah, like you say, when we are conceding one, two, three goals against, you know, not terribly formidable opposition, um, then, you know, it, 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 those will eventually hurt you. Yeah, I think you remarked last night that uh, this was not a team that was filled with star players, right? So uh, Pats are a good side and, as you say, well-organised, but, you know, not blessed with outstanding talent in pretty much, you know, any area of the field. And I was thinking back to, you know, uh, we, we had a small chat last night as well about the uh, the game at the start of 2020 between Shamrock Rovers and Dundalk in Tala. And that was a night where I think we actually thought we were seeing, you know, what was the best of the league, right? So. It was a, a packed ground, like there was, you know, more than 7,000 people there to witness it. There was the likes of Jack Byrne and Aaron McAniff in the, the Shamrock Rover side, right? We had Chris Shields and Patrick McElhaney and, you know, Pat Hoogan and various people on the, the pitch ourselves. And you got a sense that this was really, you know, two um, really high quality teams that were delivering a really good product. And I think everybody, you know, remarked on that game, uh, even though we lost, right? We saw one of the greatest goals I think we've ever scored uh, in. You know, the, the League of Ireland. I think there was, you know, numerous pit periods of like really good play and high quality stuff. And I think a lot of the people who, you know, watched on the, the telly that night were very impressed. And I think when you contrast that to last night's game, what you can see is, you know, in the past 18 months, you know, Dundalk obviously have had a, a lot of self-inflicted damage in that period. But the league as a whole, you know, the, the quality levels that were there that night are, I think, sadly missing in the meantime. And there's been this constant drain on talent throughout the league that I know I've moaned about a, a couple of times on the, the podcast. But it was just so evident last night that, as you say, not a team stocked with, you know, tremendous amounts of talent in any particular department, but more than good enough to beat us on the night. There's an irony there in that, you know, had we not been so badly run off the field of play, I think a serious league challenge was well within the core of the squad. Once again, if we had had a transfer window where we addressed those long-standing issues, uh, a more formidable player, more consistent player on the right wing, you know, box-to-box midfielder, attacking midfielder. I mean, you know, a, a basically a, a Dundalk squad with the resources available as well organised as that Pat squad uh, surely would have made a, a challenge. Because when you look at Shamrock Rovers, Shamrock Rovers, I think they're a much diminished side on previous years. Even their own fans would probably admit that. The loss of McAniff and Jack Byrne has made them more inconsistent. Their European performance was less impressive even than our own. So that would indicate that, you know, they haven't progressed from previous years. Um, you know, so they, they've lost some good players. They've lost a further one with lead scales. It's, it's one of the hazards of being a League of Ireland club. You will lose some of your good players. Uh, they'll go across the water or or further beyond but I think they are they are kind of you know they are cruising um to this league title by a country mile despite the fact that they have disimproved as a side considerably their nearest rivals for a period were Sligo Rovers and also this St. Patrick's Athletic side which is uh, very much a work in progress uh, not nearly as impressive as the 2013 St. Patrick's Athletic side I think everybody would probably agree that it, this isn't a vintage period for the league. And that presents two things. I mean, if you had sane and sensible leadership off the field, you could probably rebuild a team that could challenge for Europe quite quickly. However, more of the peak six circus, and we could find ourselves in the lower division. Given that we seem to have, despite our, our determination to strike an optimistic and philosophical note, we probably have dipped into depression there. So to raise morale, we'll go to Twitter and see what fans' reaction was last night. Don Dalgan said, deflated, concerned about the future, truly the end of the Kenny era tonight, and many of the current squad will be here next season. Pats were the deserved winners. Simon Canning said, thought some of our players didn't turn up for whatever reason. Pats wanted it more, and their keeper made some very good saves when it mattered. Hard to know what next year will bring, but it's certainly the end of an era. It was good and very enjoyable. Pity it had to end like this. Kevin Mullen says, end of an era. Unfortunately, we weren't at our best tonight. All the 50-50 things that decide football matches didn't go our way. Who knows what the future holds? Rory Gilson says, played for about 30 minutes in total. Pat's happy to let us play in front of them and catch, the, catch us on the break time after time. Huben was superb in the first half, but was living off scrap, scraps in the second. Feels far worse than your average defeat. 
Ian Sharkey says, uh, we danced our last dance for a while this evening. Second best for long periods tonight. Peak six have turned a great club into an effing shambles. It beggars belief what they have done. I can think of no better note to um, end this particular episode on, gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Rory Murphy, Martin Mullen, and Damien Kenny. We get to do it all again on Monday night. Uh, back to Richmond Park, the league game against St. Patrick's Athletics. Still much to play for. Remember, football is a game of ups and downs. And if we win that game, um, we begin to cruise back into mid-table again. Obviously, there's major concern. There's major uncertainty. Let's hope we don't have quite the cliff edge end of season that Peak Six inflicted on us last year. We know that the manager is up for grabs, as are all of the players. None of them have been secured beyond the ones that we mentioned. So it is a period of great uncertainty and great anxiety for many Dundalk FC fans. All we can hope is that there was rumour of a Vinnie Perth contract back in August that was stalled. I think it's linked to whether Peak Six will stay or go. That would presumably be the first domino. You know, if Vinnie Perth at least is secured for the coming season, then it gives us somebody to perhaps begin to make decisions. Maybe it's too much to hope that we could have a manager that it would be given that degree of, of certainty. But we'll keep our eye on things once again the club right now it hasn't really been communicating with fans there's a lot of speculation and i suppose that's all we can do until we hear until we hear with more certainty there's also a lot of talk about takeovers and um you know fans will probably be hoping that some of those come to fruition anyway we will be back for our next episode after the pats game on monday night and until then thanks for listening thanks for all your contributions on twitter and we'll talk to you again in our next episode Let's hear for the man. This ain't the face of football. The face of football. The face of football.